Hello, good morning again. My name is Adam Schindler. I am coming to you now from my car. I tried to do it a little bit earlier in my new office space, but I got no internet. AT&T doesn't give good internet in my office building. So now I'm in my car. I was trying to do something nice, but here we go. Um, I still want to continue on today as we're talking about um, illegitimate rulers. Thank you all for jumping on, joining with me today in sort of the haphazard fashion. This is just the chaos of the world at this particular point. I gotta get rid of my parking stickers. So um, I wanted to talk to you guys today uh, about this second part of this thing that I'm calling illegitimate rulers. And over the next, I don't know, 15 weeks or so, I'm gonna be talking through um, uh, this idea of illegitimate rulers. And this specifically has to do with the fact that when God comes to set people free out of captivity in Egypt, the way that he sets them free is by dealing with the demonic and governmental and political power structures that rule that country. He does it by sending one plague for all 10 of these major gods of Egypt. Each plague of Egypt deals with a god of Egypt, and the final plague deals with all the gods of Egypt. So, the great exposure of that whole Exodus story is that there's illegitimate rulers in people's lives. And I think that it's important that we understand as believers in Jesus, and if you're an American citizen or an intercessor for America, that we understand something right now about illegitimate rulers, people that sit atop power structures that don't have the heart of God, that were not legally put in place according to the laws of the land and are holding on to power outside of the, the authority of King Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. I'm talking about the Exodus story, okay, y'all? So don't get confused. Um, so today, last week we talked a little bit about covenant and the power of covenant and the power of making a covenant, but also then keeping the covenant. Okay, it's not, it's not enough just to make a covenant. At some point, you have to keep the covenant and this is what God does, is he comes in response to the cries of his people to keep the covenant promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Okay, and today I want to show you why the Pharaoh had oppressed the children of Israel, the children of God, right? So why were they oppressed? And I think there's some interesting parallels. Um, in the Exodus story, we know that there was about a hundred or so uh, uh, Hebrew people. Well, it was 70 Hebrew people came from Joseph's family to Egypt. Joseph, as you may know, was second in command of the whole land of Egypt and Pharaoh um, and all of his territories. He was second in command. And he saved Egypt from famine, saved the whole world from famine, saved his family from starvation and destruction. And 70 of them came into Egypt. And they lived in Egypt roughly 75, 80 years. I think it was 82 years that they lived in Egypt while Joseph was alive. And they lived in the best part of the land. Okay, and I'm going to read this. Exodus 1, verse, um, well, I'll just read Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. These are the tribes, y'all. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. He'd been there about 30-some years at that point. Then Joseph died and all his brothers in all that generation. 
Verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Okay, the Israelites lived in Egypt in the best of the land in wealth and prosperity for quite a while. They weren't enslaved 400 years. They lived in a land that didn't belong to them for 400 years. And some of the time in Egypt, I have a whole timeline on this. Some of the time in Egypt, they lived in wealth and prosperity. But I want to point out here is that God's people, when he sent them into a strange land that wasn't the promised land, but it was in that land of Egypt that they grew exceedingly fruitful and they became mighty. They grew up in the promise of God, though not in its fullness yet, in the fullness of the inheritance of the land of Canaan or the promised land. They were living in the land of exile, but growing strong and mighty. And it was this growth of strength and power and living out of their covenant connection to God through their father Abraham um, that they excelled and, and grew mighty in the land. And I think this is one of the things that's happened in America is that God has covenanted with this nation and God's covenant people have grown strong and mighty in this land. The nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That's so clear. Most of the major Ivy League universities were founded for the advancement of the gospel and the education in the biblical scriptures. Um, the whole concept of, of science and, and modern rationalism that is secular humanist rationalism, all of that system is founded on the, on the Judeo-Christian concepts of individual liberty and sovereignty in the individual level and freedom. Um, there's a great book by an, by an author named Tom Holland, and I've read a ton of his stuff, but he wrote a new book called Dominion. And it's about the, 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 the Christian empire. Uh, and it sounds a little crazier than it is, um, but it's a beautiful book uh, about the rise and, and of Christianity throughout the world. And Tom Holland um, was an atheist uh, for a very long time, grew up in, uh, you know, in, in England and understood some of the Christian tradition, but rejected it and became a great historian on, on Rome and Persia and the church. But in the last year, he has, after writing Dominion and after seeing some things that he's seen, he's openly converted to Christianity. He's an Anglican now in the church uh, in England, made friends with, with N.T. Wright. Um, and I think this is fascinating, and I love it. Not just because we got one, you know, he's converted, but because this is a brilliant intellectual historian that has studied the history of the church, and his claims are, and he backs them up, and these are not claims of some, you know, conservative religious fundamentalist. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but these are the claims of an atheist political historian that says the entire Western world owes its intellectual and secular history to the truths that were communicated in the world through the Christian and Judeo-Christian traditions. Um, so why am I saying that? Well, America owes a huge portion of its wealth and prosperity and global influence because of the foundation in the scriptures and the people in America that have believed God and it was credited to us as righteousness because we believe God. Okay? And so I want to, to draw these parallels and encourage you 
look, we're not trying to go in and overthrow the president of the United States and instill our own Caesar. That may be God's plan. I don't know. Um, But what we want to do is recognize that we have been called to be salt and light, that our nation is fruitful to the degree that we live out of the purposes of God. Because when we live in bondage and we follow God, we grow exceedingly fruitful and multiply, just like in the Exodus. But, well, now there's a there's a lawnmower guy coming behind me. Okay, so they grow fruitful and multiply in Egypt. But, verse 8, Exodus 1, there now arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So now there's a new pharaoh, a new government in power that doesn't remember the fact that their nation was saved by the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The children of Yahweh saved their nation. And now they've got a new governmental system that lives in Egypt that doesn't remember the fact that Joseph and his God saved their country and founded their country. I mean, when Joseph did his thing, y'all, there was seven years of plenty and he stored it all up. And then seven years of famine, the whole earth, it says in the scripture, was starving. And the whole earth comes and they bring all of their wealth. They trade all of their wealth and personal sovereignty from all these other nations just to survive. Egypt grew incredibly wealthy and powerful because Joseph saved them from the famine because he heard the voice of the Lord and he acted before the chaos came. So Egypt now was powerful, but they forgot that God was the one that founded founded their prosperity in this in this sense. God didn't found Egypt like he did, I believe, America. But so this new king arises that doesn't remember Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Preach. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Okay. Pharaoh recognized God's hand is with these people. We don't like them. They're too powerful. We can't control them. We have to do something to oppress them. Okay. And I believe this has been the enemy's plan in America and across the nations of the earth. You know, when God's people come alive in his promises and in his power and operate according to his voice, the, the, the ruling power structures in this earth are threatened. Okay, and we have to know that when we live by the word of God, the power systems of this earth are threatened immensely. Okay, and they don't just sit idly by when they see a giant threat coming against them. The power of the awakened church, awake but not woke, the awakened church threatens the demonic systems of this earth and it threatens the demonic system representatives that cling to the power structures. Y'all, if you can live out of God's individual purpose for your life and join and band together with a community to live out our community, communal, unified purpose, the kingdoms of this earth will shake in terror at the power and the authority of the church. This is not dominionist theological, you know, ramblings. This is the reality of God expressing himself in the earth through you, his bride. Okay. And this happened in the Exodus. 
And so what does the Pharaoh do when he recognizes that God's people are mighty and powerful? He forms a coalition inside of his government to begin to oppress them. What is the first method of oppression? Let's read on. Therefore, verse 11, Exodus 1. Therefore, they, the government, the government, Pharaoh and all of his cronies, therefore, they set taskmasters, taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for them, they built for Pharaoh store cities of Pithom and Ramses. Okay, so the first thing they do is economic assault on the people, and they, they essentially force the labor market into indentured servanthood. Okay, they set these taskmasters over them that demand that they create, produce. They begin to shift the economic structure of their nation so that the work that the people have to do now um, is controlled by the government. Okay, I don't think that with this powerful group of people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people that had been living in Egypt, that were too exceedingly powerful and Pharaoh was scared, he didn't just one day decide, oh, you're all slaves now. Y'all, these people were free and they were powerful and Pharaoh wanted them in bondage and he couldn't just roll out there, round them all up and stick them in a concentration camp. He didn't have that power. So what did he do? He began to slowly shift the job markets. He began to slowly shift their mindset. They became enslaved in their minds and enslaved in their labor under these taskmasters of Egypt. Y'all, and this is something that I believe that God wants to tell us. And this is part of coming out from the illegitimate rulers that seek to control you, seek to control your mind, to control your labor and your output, is that when, when the enemy wants to come and enslave you, he begins to get his hooks in you about how you work. And this is a big thing, right? We spend two-thirds of our life sleeping and working, Okay. Who you are must be divorced from what you do. This is part of the reality that we cannot define ourselves by the work that we do and the labor that we create and produce out in the world. We've got to separate those things out. And this comes a little bit later. But we need to recognize that the enemy wants to pull you into bondage by getting you to follow the taskmasters that say, you just got to build. You got to build. You got to do what the Pharaoh says. You got to do what your boss says. You got to build the cities. You got to work nine to nine to five. No, it's nine to six. No, it's eight to seven. You got to do all this stuff so that you can create, accomplish, produce, gain wealth, and build for the pharaonic Babylonian system, the wealth, not of your own life, but the wealth of the world. Okay. You got to build. Right? And this is what Pharaoh starts to say. Submit all of your time to building our stuff. Now, I'm not saying, y'all, that it's not important, critically important, to serve your boss, to serve um, those that are in authority over you at work. But don't let these taskmasters, who I think are spiritual voices, come in and afflict your mind and your spirit with the fact that you're not doing enough, you're never doing enough, and if you don't do enough, then you're never going to be enough, and now you're in bondage. And Pharaoh didn't come and round you up and throw you in a camp. He sent a taskmaster to enslave your mind, 
to believe that unless you create, produce in the world, in this system that's been handed to you of the corporate ladder or the American dream or the suburban whatever, if you live that way, you will find yourself seduced into slavery. Okay, and I'm preaching to myself right now. All right, so we have to know that these are the enemy's plans. But this is God's response to that, and then we're going to pray. Because it's getting hot in my car. I'm going to open my door. This is, the, this is the response. But the more the Hebrew people, the Israelites, were oppressed, Exodus 1.12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So then they ruthlessly made them their slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, mortar and brick and all kinds of work. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them as slaves. Okay, so the next thing that happens, they try and seduce them in with this job market, this belief that you are what you do, and the Hebrew people didn't buy into it. The more they afflicted them with this, the more they grew powerful. So then they had to say, all right, we gotta just go and round them up and force them into work. Uh, and now they are fully enslaved in Egypt. Okay, but God comes in response to this assault on his people. And this is what I wanna say, is that when, when God comes to keep his covenant, he comes to keep his covenant because the people have been enslaved in their economic and, and financial world through a job market that seduced them into one thing. They fought it, and then the system clamped down, grabbed them, and said, you're ours. And it's almost like the system has been trying. And I see some interesting parallels here in America, so I'll just make some points here now. Um, I see some interesting parallels because for, for decades, the, the, the system, the system, what's the system? The system is the demonic plan to pilfer the church, to steal, kill, and destroy something that God said would live forever and redeem the world. The purposes of God in the earth is to redeem and restore through the finished work of Jesus with a united, beautified bride that is one body in the earth, moving with the heart of the Father and the power of the Spirit to call people to the Son, Jesus. That is the purposes that we live in. Okay? The rest, that's the main plot point. The rest are subplots, which are interesting and multifaceted. Why did I start talking about that? Oh, yeah. So... I don't remember, but those are the plans that God has for the church and the plans that God has for his people, okay? And God comes to Egypt to set them free because the Egyptians had enslaved and tried to steal from the nation the purposes of God. And so I do, oh, here it was, I came back to it, I remembered. So I think that for decades now, the system, the, the enemy's plans to steal, kill, and destroy the church in America and our witness in the earth has been intentionally assaulting the church of Jesus. And we have largely misunderstood the nature of the threat, the spiritual darkness that comes against the church to make us compromise, to pull us out of cultural engagement, cultural involvement, to make us afraid to speak up. The system has come against us through these taskmasters that have enslaved our minds and gotten us to believe particular things that pull us out from the authority and power that God's called us to. 
But then the more he did that, people continued to fight and grow. And then something happened a couple of years ago and God came in power and blew up a lot of the enemy plans. So what I think has happened, y'all, is that now this system that's trying to steal, kill and destroy from the church has outrightly said, let's go and enslave them. We have to clamp down. So they've created certain bills like H.R. 1 and H.R. 5 that turned into SB 1 and SB whatever now. They've kind of been, you know, to federalize elections. Those things have been fought back and pushed back, and it looks like that isn't going to happen. But to totally clamp down on religious freedom and worship, the Equality Act would federalize and criminalize anyone speaking out on the truths of biblical gender and equality. So the enemy is coming now. Forget all this taskmaster, let's just mess with the job market, capture people's minds. Now they're coming to clamp down and say this is ours in an attempt to outright enslave the people of God with these enemy lies. And I, for one, will not submit to the enemy assault. And that is what we as a body of Christ need to recognize. Number one, there is a spiritual root to all of this. And if you don't deal with the spiritual root, then you're just going to be shadow boxing with the human representatives of the enemy's purposes. Okay? We deal with the spiritual root of the power structures that come and assault us. And while we deal with the spiritual root, we vote, we lead, we stand up ourselves and participate in the natural engagement to influence the culture with the truth of God. Does that make sense? Prayer is first, because if we don't pray, we don't have anywhere to stand on. Scriptures say faith is the substance of the things not yet seen. Okay, that's in Hebrews. Faith, the word substance, is hypostasis. It's the thing underneath, hypo underneath, stasis causes to stand. Faith is the thing that's underneath the what we do and how we act that gives us somewhere to stand in a shifting culture. So in faith we pray for this nation. In faith we stand. And once we have faith and we've prayed and we've stood, now we have somewhere to go out into the culture and work and walk in the power of God. Okay, so... Would you guys pray with me here this morning, specifically surrounding some of these things? Um, King Jesus, we love you. Father, we declare our affection and our dependence and our desperate need for you to come in power and do what you said, to confirm your covenant word, to bring America out of bondage, to bring the church out of the spiritual and mental and social bondage that so much of the church is living in. Father, to bring us out of bondage, out from underneath the illegitimate rulers in our lives and into your heart and your presence and your purpose for us as a nation. Jesus, we pray right now for the body of Christ in this hour, in, the, in this nation, God, for the legacy denominations that are struggling and not functioning, many of them in the purposes that God has originated them for, that they're fighting social ills and social problems without the power and the intimacy with Jesus. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen your body of Christ by pruning your body of Christ. We ask, God, that not one that you have given that has been given to you would be lost, except the, the son of perdition. Um, but, Father, we pray for the body of Christ, that none of the churches, God, that are operating in your heart would be lost. Father, but that you would prune the good works and the bad works so that we could live in the greater works. 
Father, that you would prune the good works and the bad works so that we can live in the greater works of God. That Jesus, you said even greater things will you do than what I've done because I go to the Father and I give you my spirit. So Jesus, we ask for a spiritual outpouring in America, in the body of Christ. Father, in all of the places that are pursuing your heart, in all these pockets of revival and awakening that are stirring up across the nation. Father, we say more, Jesus. Send your spirit in power and do more of that to awaken the body of Christ to their true nature, their true authority, their true power in life in Jesus. Father, we also pray in Jesus' name against the enemy's assault to clamp down and enslave the the people of this nation to shut up the people of this nation who hold fast to the biblical truths that life and marriage and gender and equality are not social justice issues they are biblical justice issues and the lord god has a life and a human thriving that is possible when we live not in the worldly wisdom but the wisdom of god and we pray right now against the enemy's assaults in all the different areas that they're doing that in the election integrity areas where they're clamping down and suing in lots of different states the federal government is suing in places like texas where where particular elements of 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 political parties are just leaving because they don't want to confront the reality that the state of texas wants to deal with election integrity issues father we ask right now we pray in jesus name father that your purposes for the Texas state legislature would come to pass, God, that whatever these political maneuverings and who's doing what and whose fault it is, Father, we declare justice in Jesus' name over the special session legislation in Texas, that God's justice in Texas would be made manifest in that particular special elective session going on in Texas right now. Father, we do also pray for Georgia. Father, my home state here now of Georgia. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that the things that are moving surrounding election integrity and the very strong evidence that has been compiled and released to authorities about about fraud in these elections, Father. We pray, God, for the underground, ongoing things that are happening in, in Georgia. Father, we pray divine authority and help Father, we pray for prosecutors, for, for the governor and secretary of state in Georgia Bureau of Investigation and any other law enforcement entities that are engaged in any of this stuff. Father, we pray divine wisdom, clarity, and authority in them. Whether they call on the name of Jesus or not, they work according to his purposes when they stand up for truth and justice. Father, we pray for that in Georgia. Father, I pray for that in Arizona. Father, we don't even know all of the political things that are happening, God, but we pray, Jesus, that your divine justice and truth, dark to light, everything that's hidden would become manifest and that wherever there is darkness, light pierces and removes it. So we pray in Jesus' name for the election integrity Uh, purposes in Arizona as well. Father, with all the stuff that's going on there that only you know in its totality, um, Jesus, we pray your divine authority and power. Father, we do speak out Nevada and Michigan and Wisconsin. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would both resource with resources, financial resources, and spiritual courageous men and women that would stand up. Father, in legislatures, Father, in the judicial 
judiciary, Father, in executive houses, Father, on the ground, people would come stand up, be whistleblowers, speak in power and authority according to your words. We pray protection over everyone that has come forward in any capacity over the last six months to say, I saw this, I worked in this, I can show you this. We pray protection over all whistleblowers in Jesus' name, that all it takes for the enemy to triumph is for good men to do nothing and good women to do nothing. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name for all of these men and women that have stood up. Guard them, Jesus. Protect them, Jesus. Protect them. We pray a release of angelic guardians over law enforcement people that have seen and are working on things, God, that, that the enemy really, really wants to keep hidden and they will take any means necessary to destroy them. We pray that you would guard and protect them in Jesus' mighty name. Father, and in Jesus' name, we reject and command severed off of this nation right now in Jesus' name. The enemy's plans to enslave the nation, just like Pharaoh came and enslaved the Hebrew people because he he saw they were mighty. We reject those plans. We sever the enemy's purposes to enslave this nation in bondage in Jesus' mighty name. We plead the blood of Jesus over this country, Father, and not just the individual sovereignty of the American people, but over the hearts and minds of God's chosen generation, the children of God, all who call on his name. We plead the blood of Jesus over the people of God in this nation, that right now in this hour, they would see and hear from heaven, they would move in power and authority that they would not be afraid. Father, that they would not be afraid. God, give us, give us the hope, Jesus, the hope of heaven, of what you're actually doing. Father, not the hope of the media, the legacy media, or even the alt-right or the, or the, the, the new media. Father, we put our hope in Jesus. Father, we look to the heavens where does our help come from? We look to the heavens. It's the only place that our help comes from. So, Father, we thank you for the divine wisdom that comes from heaven that works its way out into the world through sons and daughters that have said, I have heard the voice of God in my generation, and I am now working in concert with God to do and will everything that he has said is true in this nation. Father, stir us up with hope, Jesus. Stir us up with hope right now. And Father, we do ask last thing here, Father, we ask for unity. Father, and unity is not uniformity. Unity is coming together to sing the same song of heaven, all with our different parts, like a symphony, to sing the song of heaven that you're singing and playing in the earth, God, that you would unite the body of Christ with the symphony of heaven, that we could play our own parts, but live as a concert instrument in the hands of the master. Father, just like a violin is just a violin until a master picks it up, God, would you play us and our unique parts, whether we're a violin or a trombone or whether we're a clanging cymbal that is at the erupting high point of the song, God, that you would play us, Jesus, like your master hands on an instrument, God, that we are your instruments. Use us, play us, show us, God. Show us what it means to be in unity with you and with your body. We love you, Daddy. We bless you. Holy Spirit of Jesus, we yield to you. Father God, keeper, maker, protector, Son Jesus, coming King, 
and bridegroom to the body. We bless you, God. We love you. We declare our affection, our allegiance, our desperate dependence, and our never-ending connection to you. We thank you, King Jesus. We bless you, Holy One of Israel. In your name I pray. Amen. Woo! I got hot. It's probably the weather. It's not the anointing. Ha! Thank you all so much for joining and praying, for jumping back on. Thank you for sharing this broadcast, for joining with us at Million Voices. If you haven't connected to us at millionvoices.org, please go to millionvoices.org. Click. There's a bunch of different spots. You can join the movement. You can get your name on our newsletter. Um, We send out weekly content about all the different things that we're doing. Um, We give you lots of news information. John, our CEO and founder, is on Victory Channel quite a bit talking about important issues. You so you can watch him there or you can get snippets of that on our podcast on google podcast spotify y'all just get connected to what we're doing at million voices i really believe in it i've been working here for the last year and a half um building stuff for the election and soon we'll be telling you a lot of what we've done at million voices we haven't talked a lot about who we are and what we're doing um you know one because we're so busy doing it um and two because we've been in the background but i want to start sharing more with you the very things that Million Voices has done over the last year and a half because I think that you guys would be encouraged. Um, We're not just internet live stream people, though we are that. Uh, There's a whole lot more. So we'll be sharing more of that with you all. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom. Enjoy your Sabbath rest. Please take one, whether it's tonight through tomorrow or tomorrow or Sunday or Monday. Take a Sabbath rest. Let the Lord renew and strengthen you. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Great to see you all. Bye-bye.